Amen. Well, those of you that have been coming along um, for the last few weeks, hopefully you make a little bit of a connection there. We've been talking about the differences between the old and the new, and we've been trying to get our, our head around what did Jesus mean when Jesus said uh, that this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, a new agreement. Jesus, when he came, he stepped into a world that was very different, a religious world and an environment that was very different to the world that he wanted to uh, exist or the movement that he wanted to birth after the resurrection was meant to be different to the movement of the people of God before the resurrection. When Jesus stood there and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, we talked a little bit in communion this morning about how radical that thought must have been and what it must have meant to those people sitting there. So we're, we're Caucasian people, Aussie people, and I'm sure there's a splattering of other backgrounds, living in Ganelabar in 2019 with a certain mentality and worldview and stuff happening in the world around us and so on. And so we don't fully grasp and understand the impact of what it was like for the people in Jesus' time to sit there and to hear some of the things that Jesus taught and Jesus said and to grapple with and to wrestle with how much some of his sayings and teachings must have really messed with them. Because they had this oral tradition, these generations looking backwards of experience with God that they remembered through their festivals and their stories they passed down and things such as the Passover, which pointed them back to a moment in history, many, many, many generations back. And they would celebrate these things and the celebrations were always about looking back. Let's look back at what God has done. Let's look back at where we've come from. Let's look back at how we got in that situation and so on. When Jesus came, he said, you know what, I'm doing something brand spanking new. They accused him of teaching new things. What is this new doctrine that he brings? He did a lot of things that were different and radical. But here's the thing, the new that Jesus tried to bring in must have been attractive. There must have been something about it because there was a large section of society that were gravitating towards him. They enjoyed being with him. And it wasn't the people that we think it would be. It wasn't the religious people, the people that could quote the Bible back to front. It wasn't those that had a regular prayer life. It was those people um, that the Bible calls them sinners, tax gatherers and prostitutes and all these kinds of people that for some reason they felt really, really comfortable being around Jesus. We read the stories of Jesus in his interactions with people. And there must have been something about him and something about this new that he talked about that sparked them and gave them hope and maybe made them feel like they could be a part of something outside of themselves. So we've been looking at this issue of what exactly does it mean? What did Jesus mean when he said, I bring a new covenant, a new agreement between God and man? Covenant means agreement. The old covenant, we've got a Bible here, we talked about it last week, we've got a Bible here that's broken into two sections. One section is under the heading of the old agreement, Old Testament, old covenant. Another one's under the heading of the new agreement, testament, covenant, call it what you want. It's an old agreement and a new (coughs) agreement. And how many of us and how often do we stand in the space here in 2019 in a place which is meant to be part of a movement that's the new, 
But how many of our mentalities and things inside of us still reach back into the old? How many of our theologies still go back into the old? How many things about our relationship with God do we draw our understanding from the way God used to relate to a nation under a performance-based relationship and not so much how God relates to individuals under a grace-based relationship? How much of our relationship with one another, how much of the way we view sin... And wrongdoing is wrapped up in things that that are revealed and we see in the way God dealt with a nation under an old agreement and not so much with how Jesus dealt with things in a new agreement. So there's this blending that takes place in our lives and in our theology. And I don't think for a second that Jesus had any intention of coming on the scene and saying, hey, what I'm bringing here is just an addition to what we used to have. I'm going to come and just add a little bit of sugar and milk to the coffee because the coffee's great and we're going to keep it. No, no, Jesus, when he came, he said, I didn't come to abolish that. He said, I came to fulfill law and the prophets. In other words, to fulfill something means that that thing had an intended end. There's a point in time where whatever that agreement is, it was about to end. And when Jesus came, he brought an end to an existing agreement between God and a nation of people. And he was the initiator of a new agreement between God and individuals of every tribe, nation, his tongue, whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Amen? That's an exciting thing. That's the agreement that we live under. We live under this new agreement. We don't live under the old. And in the new agreement, Jesus had a mission. While he was here, he wanted to make sure that every single thing about this new agreement revolved around him being the central figure and the central character. We've looked a little bit in the last few weeks. You go right back to the Sermon on the Mount. You go back to Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus stands up and he says, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. What's he doing? He's challenging everything they're thinking in terms of authority because all authority belonged to Moses. And so he stands up and goes, Moses said this, but I say this. Moses said this, but I say this. Hey, you've heard it said, Moses said, but I said. And straight away, these people sitting there are going, well, what's going on here? This, this, is, a, this is almost like an authority challenge. It's almost like he's, he's challenging the authority of the guy that is second only to Yahweh himself in all of our history and our understanding of God and man. And Jesus straight away goes, you know what, you've heard this straight away. He's letting them know, hey guys, I want you to know I'm bringing something totally and radically different to the world. Don't blend the two, don't mix the two. I'm telling you, I'm finishing up that. I'm starting something different. Then we go on from the Sermon on the Mount. We move on to Passover. We talked about that this morning. Same thing. What does he do? This thing is to commemorate God leading Egypt, uh, Israel out of Egypt at the hands of Moses. Jesus gets up and goes, forget Moses. We're going to make this all about me. It's all about me. It's almost like he was intent on making sure that you and I in 2019 understood that the central figure in this whole deal is Jesus Christ, his teachings, his values, and his ways. Don't blend it. Don't mix it. It's Jesus. And everything else has to be interpreted in the light of Jesus Christ, not Jesus Christ interpreted in the light of everything else. Jesus is the central character and the central figure of this new movement called the church that you and I are a part of. Then we go to Matthew 28, the Great Commission. He does it again. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, not 80% me, 20 Moses. He said, forget all that. It's all mine now. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all things that Moses commanded you. He didn't say that. He said, go and teach them all things that who? Who? I. 
Go and teach them everything that I've commanded you. Jesus Christ, I want you to go from this moment, this line in the sand, going forward, I want you to teach people what I taught you. Don't reach back into the past and be grabbing all these rules and regulations. That was for a time and a period and a purpose, and I fulfilled that. I fulfilled that. The old was all about walking to the edge. Just don't fall off. Have as many lustful thoughts as you want, just don't commit adultery. Hate your brother as much as you want, just don't murder him. Doesn't matter what's going on in here. Just look the part. Then Jesus goes, well, I know you heard that. I want to say if you hate someone, let's take a step back off the edge of the cliff and let's get into the heart and let's look at the transforming humanity. Let's go back in here and let's have a look at how do, we, how do we deal with these things and these issues? How do we have relationship and how do I get in here so that we don't end up on the edge of the cliff and you're not standing there? See, in the old it was all about the externals and how you looked, but Jesus said, no, in the new it's going to be about that anymore. That's really interesting. That tweaks some of our heads. It means you can look really, really ugly and messy, but you could have your heart right with God. But see, if we're living in the old, we don't see that. We don't care about the heart. We just look at all the externals. We make judgments and criticisms and calls on people and movements and so on because it's all about externals. There's little bits of the old that are still attached to us. And I think part of the plan of God is that we would learn to walk completely out of the new. We don't want to blend it. It's almost like oil and water. Oil and water, they just don't mix really well together. They still You can put them in a thing, but you'll see that they're different. And this old and this new, Jesus said, I come to bring something new, kainos, unheard of, unheralded, totally brand spanking new, not an old 2.1, but something brand new. Jesus was taking their focus away from Moses and away from all that stuff in the old and trying to draw a line and say, you know what, from now on going forward, this new movement that I'm birthing, put me at the center. Put Jesus Christ at the center. Put his values at the center. Put his teachings at the center. Put what he said over and above anybody else's interpretation of anything. Jesus is the central figure in this New Testament church, this New Testament movement that is birthed. Jesus was determined to make himself central. But old habits and thoughts and ways, they do die really, really hard, especially when God's attached to it. Anyone notice that? When there's a God element to a habit or a thought pattern or a process, even if it's wrong, it's really, really hard to break uh, habits, particularly to break religious habits and the way that we view and the way that we see things. Um, Luke 5, verse 36 to 39. Jesus shares this parable about an old and a new uh, garment and a cloth and a wineskin. We've all heard this a million times. Again, go back. I, I said last week, for the rest of this year, I'm throwing a challenge at you. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you finish, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John again. When you finish, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John again. When you finish, read Matthew. If you've got time, read Mark. And if you've still got time, go back to Luke. And if you're not finished yet, go back to John. If it's not December 31st, go back to Matthew. Spend some time in those four eyewitness accounts of the life and the teaching of Jesus, those different camera angles that give us a holistic picture of who he was, what he did, where he went, why he was, and so on. His values, uh, what he was trying to teach. Not just the words he said, what were the values behind his statements. Don't, don't, mix, don't, don't, don't go mixing that with others. Why don't we just completely separate? I'm not saying the old is bad. I'm not saying don't read it. What I'm saying is this. We're so entrenched in a lot of the older stuff that it becomes more central inside of our fabric. And then we're trying to interpret Jesus and everything in the light of all that. 
For the first 400 years, they didn't have this compilation of ancient documents together. 400 years, think about it. 400 years, they did not have this. So how did they survive? How did they do what they did? How did they go on and take on the world? How did they grow? How did they expand? What did an individual do if he couldn't pick up a Bible? Well, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They communed with God. Yeah? They had communion with God through the indwelling Spirit. They'd seen and heard and experienced Jesus. They weren't sitting there with their Old Testaments going through the rules and the laws and the regulations and what they tried to launch was something totally different. Matter of fact, they got in trouble for it. Jesus got in trouble for it. Good Lord, who heals a man on a Sunday? That's outrageous. It's outrageous. <laughs> you know? How'd they do it? They had Jesus at the centre. Christ was the central figure to them. And everything revolved around Jesus. And everything was interpreted in the light of that moment in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything was interpreted through that lens. Not through the old. It's hard because I'm standing here saying to you, I've got so much of the old in me. And by the Spirit, God will allow it to pop its head up every now and then. I've got one of two choices. I defend it. Or I look at it in the light of Jesus and go, that's, that's not coming from the right place. Lord, work with me. Speak to me, God. Why am I so critical? Why am I so judgmental? Luke 5, 36, 39, then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new one makes a tear, and the piece that was taken out of the new doesn't match the old. You've got an old garment here, and it's obviously already uh, shrunk down to its size. And then you place a new piece on it, and it hasn't shrunk yet, and you chuck it in the wash. What happens? Your new piece shrinks, and what does it do? It tears the old piece. Jesus talked about putting uh, new wine in old wineskins. Old wine uh, skins had already stretched to their maximum. And then you put new wine in there, and it ferments, and it expands. And that old wineskin, it just bursts. And guess what? It's interesting. When it bursts, you don't just lose the old wineskin. You lose the new wine as well. You lose both. They're both destroyed. You can't mix them. They don't go together. And he goes on. He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled. The wineskins will be ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. Then he says this, and no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. The old's better. It's not always better. In 50 years' time, we just saw selfies won't be better. Sitting down with grandma and going through their photo album, it won't be better. It's new now, it feels fancy now, but you know what? There's going to come a time where it's no good anymore. And the old that was in, in action, the old relationship that God instigated, this, this performance-based relationship, this bilateral relationship between God and a nation, is non-existent anymore. And we now have this new relationship, and the old doesn't fit into the new. 
You don't try to mix old and new because people always think that old is better. And you know what? For a lot of us, especially, I'm, and I'm going on 30 years almost of being born again, of walking with Jesus, and I'm still finding in my own life, challenged by God, how much of my thinking and my mentalities are still going back to here. But I'm getting to a point where I'm starting to go, you know what, God, I, I, I don't think they're meant to be mixed, but I'm so entrenched in the way I think, and I'm so entrenched in the way I judge and the way I criticize, and I'm so entrenched in some of my understandings of the old that when I start thinking about the new and open myself up to look at Jesus Christ, I'm so challenged that I'm really not like that. I'm really not like that. I wish I was. The grace, the love, the, the, the ability to look at the heart, the ability to hang on a cross and say, Father, forgive me. There's so many things about, about Jesus Christ that I'm just not yet. But Jesus was attractive. People liked him. The people that shouldn't like him liked him. The people that that had the opposite set of values to him were drawn to him because there was life and there was something about the person of Jesus. And I wonder if they feel the same about the new version of God's people, whether we're open to God, whether we're living in the new. Do we even care about the new? Or is it just a statement Jesus made, oh, it's a new covenant? But let's go on with business as usual. Well, the definition of insanity is, is, is you know, changing nothing, expecting a different result, doing the same things, expecting a different result. Somewhere along the line, something happened. Somewhere along the line, we dropped the ball somewhere. And now I'm sitting here, and I'm, I'm sure we're not the only gathering of believers this morning. I'm looking around going, gee, there's room for about another 20-something people in here. <laughs> You know, I'm sure there's plenty of other churches with empty seats this morning too. Yet I'm his hands, I'm his feet, I'm his expression. Uh, in 2019, here in Ganelabar, that's that's me, that's us. We're the body of uh, body of Christ. And you know what? There's nothing attractive about the old, but people must be attracted to the new, because there was a time. There was a time where they came to Jesus. There's a time where daily he added to the church those who were being saved. There was an environment, there was something there. There was something exciting in the new. You know what, for many of us we started that way, didn't we? We got saved. And when we got saved, don't know how it happened. I certainly wasn't clean, I certainly wasn't all together. There was a stage in my relationship with God very early on where I feel like I was walking in the new. It was so different to the way I used to live. And I'm not just talking about the things I did, I'm talking about my outlook to life and what was going on inside of me and the freedom and the joy in the life I felt in Jesus. And then somewhere along the line I find myself looking back going, you know what, I, I, I kind of feel like now, I'm, I can't even explain it, but I feel bound up again. Only this time it's religious shackles, it's not... Might not be the drugs or the alcohol or the relationships or the or the fear of man or whatever. But now, but, but I'm over here. And I'm going. Yeah, I feel just as bound up and lifeless. But it's okay because I'm going to heaven. That's not okay because I'm going to heaven. <laughs> it's great. I'm going to heaven. It's awesome. But if I'm somebody else looking in, going, well, what's so new about that? Just exchange one cloak for another. Yet Jesus came to bring something so radically different, so radically different. And you know what? If it takes time. For us to get our head around that, that's actually okay. As a matter of fact, we're actually in really, really good company if it takes time. Go to Acts uh, chapter 8 for a second. I want, to, I want to show you something. Acts chapter 8 verse 1. A great persecution breaks out over Stephen. All right? We all know the story. Stephen um, uh, gets, gets martyred for his faith. 
And the Bible says this in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says that, that uh, uh, those, uh, and they were all scattered, right? It says, after the persecution of Stephen, everybody went, boom, we're out of here. Now this stuff's getting real. They've just killed somebody because of their belief and their understanding and so on. And uh, so, you know, we're not going to hang around here. The Bible says they all scattered, but it's interesting. They all scattered except who? The apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Do you want to know why they stayed in Jerusalem? Because there was a building there. You know what the building was called? The temple. You know what the temple was? It was central to everything to do with Judaism. Central to everything to do with their faith and their belief it was a building. It wasn't central to God's plan, never has been. And you've got to come back in a few weeks' time. I want to talk us through that. But they stayed there because there's still a little bit of the old going on, you see. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said to them, What? Going to all the what? Going to all the world. And they're still sitting in Jerusalem. They're still sitting there. Stephen gets martyred, and who goes? Everyone else, except for the more intelligent. You know, the pillars, they stayed. Everybody else scattered. God deals with this about AD 70. Burns the temple to the ground. Now what do we do? Now where do we go? Go into all the world. That's where it's at. They all scatter. Except the apostles, there's still something going on inside of them. In other words, look, we're free, but there's still little bits of the old in there and we're still trying to work our way out of some of these old mentalities. Fast forward to Acts chapter 10. And verse 9 to 16, Acts chapter 10, we all know the story. This is Peter, right? And Peter's out there and he's doing some stuff with his crew. And he goes up on a roof. We know the story. He has a trance. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. He became very hungry and he wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to earth. <laughs> In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. A whole bunch of things that to a Jewish person are what? Unclean. Unclean. Don't touch them. They're unclean. Here we go. And so watch what Peter does. A voice came, from, a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. Peter knows this is God speaking to him. He calls him Lord. He knows it's God. Isn't it interesting? Peter's an interesting character. How many times does he try to correct God? Eh? Anyone here like, anyone like Peter? You know? Jesus pulls him aside and says, I'm going to be crucified now. I'm going to die. And Peter pulls him aside and says, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen. In other words, God, I'm going to correct you. You know? God, you're wrong. Has he ever accused God of being wrong before? Oh, I have anyway. So there you go. Uh, I do it quite regularly. If the sharks win today, I'll accuse God of being wrong again. Rise, kill and eat. He says, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. The voice spoke to him again the second time. Well, God is cleansed. You must not call common. What's, what's he struggling with? He's got an Old Testament mentality, an old agreement mentality that he's still wrestling with up here. And Old Testament, uh, old agreement mentalities have an impact in the way we live our life, have an impact on the way we see other people, have an impact on the way we see God, have an impact on the way we see ourselves. It starts up here. He's still wrestling with this thing. Yeah, what did Jesus say all those years ago? Go into all the... Every nation. You know what nation? It's the Greek word ethnos. You know what? It's ethnic groups. Go into all ethnic groups. I've got a funny feeling Gentiles are an ethnic group. Jesus has told them the resurrected Christ 
He's standing there eyeballing a guy with holes in his hands and holes in his feet, telling him to go and do something new, and he's still got this old mentality that he's struggling to break away from. Isn't that amazing? Now, we, we, how many times have you heard people say things like, oh, you know, if, if it, the world was perfect, if my environment was better, I wouldn't fail, I wouldn't sin, I wouldn't be angry. If you'd stop, you know, if you'd make the coffee better in the morning, Ruth, Daniel wouldn't get frustrated. So it's not, frustration's not his problem, it's yours. You make the better coffee, he won't get frustrated. It's always somebody else, something else. We'll go and tell that to Adam and Eve, who lived in a garden with a perfect God, spoke face to face to them every day, and they only had one rule. And they still blew it. Yeah? They still do it. One rule. Don't touch that tree. You can do anything else you want. Stay away from that one. Ooh. Go over there and play with a tree. And because of that, we're all stuck here. You know? Amazing. This takes place, this whole story takes place, AD 40. This is about 10 years after the resurrection. So 10 years. 10 years after seeing Jesus Christ resurrected bodily form, 10 years after seeing holes in the hands, holes in the feet, 10 years later, he's still saying to God, you got it wrong. I'm still going to live out of the old. And God is trying to say, you dummy. You dummy. There's a whole new out there. Why are you binding yourself up with the old? Can't you see it's like anchors and shackles behind you. You're trying to go forward, but it's slowing you down. Because what you're thinking up here is impacting your life out there. It's impacting your relationships. It impacts your ability to connect with those who don't yet know God and don't live on your space. It's up here, connected to the old. But you know what, it's okay. Because if we fast forward a little bit down to, to verse 28, he sees this thing a few times, he rebukes God. Some guys come to the gate, he goes down, they say, come and speak to Cornelius, this Gentile dude. And he goes, ah. Oh. Okay, the voice told me to go. I mean, the voice told me to eat as well, but I said, no, I'm not going to eat, but I'll go with these guys. You know, I'll pick and choose which... So he goes off with them. And watch this, verse 10, chapter 10, verse 28. He's sitting there with Cornelius and all of his crew, and he says this. He said to them, you know, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. Jesus said go into all the nations, you dummy. You know how unlawful it is. For us to go to people of another nation. Unless, of course, you're listening to Jesus. I mean, if you're listening to... I get it. But if you're listening to Jesus, and he's your central point of reference, he said, go into all nations. Just a thought. Radical thought. But, watch this, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Ten years later, he's finally starting to go, hang on a second, maybe, maybe this all nations thing is... What have I been doing for 10 years? I wonder how many experiences I've missed out on, how many opportunities I've missed out on, how I've stunted maybe my own relationship with you, God, my relationship with people because I've had this mentality of clean and unclean. So here we go, good news. At least 10 years after, Peter got it. That's good news, right? The penny's finally dropped 10 years on. Well, hang on. Sorry, no, it hasn't. Let's keep going. Let's go to Acts chapter 15. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Acts chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of who? You can't be saved. Unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. Unless you eat this type of food, you can't be saved. 
Unless you dress this way, you can't be saved. Unless you are devoid of that sin, we accept that sin, that's okay. I think, I think you'll scrape into heaven if you tell a few lies, that's okay. But don't you commit sexual immorality. I think you'll scrape into heaven if you're the kind of person that just exaggerates a story to make yourself look good. But don't you dare be attracted to the same sex. Hear what I'm saying? I'm not saying any of those things are right. I'm saying all of them are poor lifestyle choices. What I'm saying is don't pick and choose which ones keep people away from God. It's not your prerogative. It's not my prerogative. You've got to catch fish before they clean them up. You ever heard that saying? We've got a terrible, terrible habit of wanting to clean fish first. <laughs> Come here, I'm going to scale you first. He's trying to swim off. Hey, we love because he what first? Loved us. My sin is just as disgusting as a pedophile sitting in a prison right now in the eyes of a perfect and holy God. It's not if you want to judge it in the eyes of humanity or your own radar or judgment. It's, it's, it might be different. I can get that. But if you want to judge it in the light of a perfect and sinless God, there's no difference whatsoever. And here's the thing. The blood of Jesus is thick enough to deal with both. That's new thinking. I often wonder if, if I came on in here to church and don't, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. Salvation is a faith by grace issue, not a performance issue. And the writer of Hebrews said this, none of us are going to be perfect when we get there. We're all going to have dirt on our hands when we walk into heaven. None of us are going to make it this side of heaven. I wish we did. I'm waiting for the moment I become a perfect man. But I've got a funny feeling that my spirit will depart this physical body before that happens. Okay, well, if that's true for all of us, we can deal with that, but you've just got to make sure that certain things are dealt with. Because the big ones will keep you out of the doors. Get away with the little ones, but not the big ones. You know, people do things because there's a lot of stuff going on in here. Humanity is broken. I did a message some time back. We're weak, not wicked. Most people are weak, not wicked. Most sin comes out of weakness, not wickedness. We're not... We're weak. We're broken. And so we look for things to ease the pain. We look to things to make us feel better. We look to things to, to, to deaden that feeling. And we get involved in substances we shouldn't. Before we know it, they hook us and we're stuck there. We get involved in relationships we shouldn't. Before you know it, they're feeding something and we kind of feel stuck there. We tell lies and they skyrocket and we build images and we're stuck there. All these things happen. It's about rules, we're all dead. But we're saved by grace through faith and the Spirit fills us and then God goes, let's start talking about some of that stuff. But here's the thing, just because God's talking to me and dealing with an area of my life doesn't mean he's dealing with all of you on the same thing. We've all got our pet things, haven't we? That one's worse than that one and that one's more acceptable. And usually the more acceptable ones are the ones we struggle with ourselves. Less acceptable are the ones where we feel like we've mastered it. 
Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders who are still in Jerusalem. Go back to Jerusalem and have a chat with them and ask them about this question. Shouldn't this be straightforward by now? Let me tell you something. This is now AD 48. It's about 18 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 18 years after seeing the nail-scarred hands in the... And we've still got people running around in the new saying, hey, you've got, to play, you've got to play a part of the old as well. This thing ain't as new as you think it is, just kind of an updated version. That's not what Jesus said. He said, this is new. This is totally 100% brand spanking new. Acts 15, 6 and 7. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter. What are they considering? Why are you still considering this? But they came together to consider the matter. And when there had been much dispute, what are you disputing? I don't get it. It's straightforward, isn't it? Well, apparently not. Peter rose up and he said, Men and brothers, you know that a good while ago God chose among us by my mouth the Gentiles should hear and so on. Here we are 18 years later and they're still struggling to get the old out and fully run forward in the mission and purpose of God for his people, his movement, the church, because of old ways of thinking and old mentalities. It's still happening. So if you're struggling to let go of old stuff and you're struggling to move forward into the new, you're in really, really good company. You're in really, really good company. Made me think, I wondered what was the story with Peter. Ten years ago, he learned a lesson, but apparently not. Eight years later, they're still discussing it. It's still not clear cut. It's so unclear that Paul and Barnabas have to come back to the council where Peter's there and still got to bring it up. So somewhere along the line, it still has not been made crystal clear to everybody. Now, this is the stance. We're still dealing with it. And I wonder why. I just want to throw some thoughts out and I'll finish up. Maybe you drifted back into old because it makes more sense. And it does. The old makes more sense. The rules are very clear. Don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, 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 do. Don't do, 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 don't do, do, do. All the kids are laughing. He said doo-doo. <laughs> Maybe it's because it made more sense. It's easier to quantify. Because it doesn't matter about the heart so much. It just matters about your performance. If you want a church like that, well, obviously, let's reach back into the back there and let's just we'll make it all about performance. And if you do good, you're in. If you do bad, you're out. It's nice and simple. Maybe that's why he drifted back to it. Maybe he drifted back into the old because it's not so messy. You know? Grey is messy. Grace is messy. You know? You get a bunch of people together who aren't looking and dressing and living exactly the same, it can get messy. So maybe you wanted to reach back into that because I just don't want to have to deal with the mess of what it looks like if I truly embrace the new. Because if I truly embrace the new, I'm kind of out of control. When I don't know the rules, I'm out of control. When I understand the rules, I'm kind of there's an element of control there. It's okay. But when, when, I'm, when I don't know the rules, it's messy, I'm out of control. I don't like that. Maybe he wanted to go back there because it wasn't so messy. Maybe he drifted back into the old because it was popular opinion. In a church age of Instagram and Facebook and YouTube messages and every kind of person can reach anybody on the planet with any kind of message that they want. And this guy's got 4 billion followers and he's only got 2 billion. He's got 10 million thumbs up on that message, so it must be right. He got 10 million thumbs ups. Dude, I want to hear that one. Did you hear the message of the guy with the 10 million? He got 10 million to one. Now I did a thumbs up as well. Popular opinion. 
What are all the books saying? What is everybody teaching? Well, hang on, what is Jesus saying? Sometimes it doesn't all line up. So here's my central cue. Where do I take it from? Maybe it wasn't popular opinion. Maybe it drifted back into the old because it, was, it, was, it suited the dominant religious narrative of the time. We still want to keep a separation from the rest of you dirty, filthy Gentiles. We're happy for you to come to Christ, but don't come to us. I'll hang out with you in heaven, but not down here. When we get there, it's out of my control. He decides who he lets in and out, but down here, just keep your distance. I want you to go to heaven, just don't go there next to me. You know? You can have your Gentile section of heaven, and we'll have our, you know really bad sinning section of heaven and the not so bad sinning section of heaven then there'll be my section the holy section of heaven or maybe he drifted back to the old because he lost sight of the centrality of the teacher of the new maybe somewhere in the mission the complexity of trying to reach a world complexity of trying to be Christian complexity of trying to be good maybe in the complexity of trying to work it all out Maybe they just lost sight of the central figure, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. I wonder whether we could be accused of that a little bit sometimes, church. It's one thing to read about Jesus new, but it's a whole other thing to have the grace and the faith to actually live it out. We will not impact our world until we live it out. We will not be personally transformed into the image of the Son of God until we make a choice to live it out. We will not be changed until we choose to live it out. We won't go forward until we choose to live it out. And that's the challenge before each and every one of us. Are you happy to know about a new? Or do you have a passion and a desire to want to walk in it and want to live in it in Jesus' name? So we can make a difference in the world. The world's not interested in seeing a continuation of the old. The old was hard to... to, If the old was perfect, we wouldn't need a new. But it wasn't perfect. We looked at that last week. The writer of the Hebrews said, the old was not perfect. Why do you want to keep reaching back into something that wasn't perfect when Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to make something perfect? Amen? Father, I want to thank you, uh, Lord, this morning for... Lord, thank you for your grace, your love. God, this stuff isn't... um, uh, Lord, it's not always easy to talk about. It's not always easy to think about, God, when I think about my life. And I think about the way I view things and so on. God, I can stand up on the inside and justify it. I can even reach back to, uh, Lord, I've got all the Old Testament scripture in the world to support my criticism of others, to to, to, to point back to say why I'm better. I've got all the scriptures I can dig out and all this stuff I can find under the old agreement that you had with Israel to put myself on a higher pedestal than the person next to me or Lord, at times even to put myself down because maybe my performance wasn't up to speed or whatever, Lord. But God, trying to get a grip on the new when we live in a culture that's very performance-based, when we live in a culture that tells us to strive and try harder and God, when we live in a church culture that is so critical and so judgmental of people who aren't like us, don't think like us, don't believe like us. Yet at the same time, Father, I believe you call us to a simple faith. And you fill us with your spirit. And you speak to us and you commune with us and you guide us and you lead us and you take us where you want to take us, Father. So Lord, I just pray for each person here. Lord, as we're chipping away at these little little thoughts and uh, challenging ourselves to look a little more intently at the life and the purpose of Jesus Christ. 
Holy Spirit, would you take us on a journey? Would you continue to speak to us? Personalize it. What does it mean to me? And Father, I pray for the next seven days as we leave this place today. God, I pray in the next seven days, Lord, would you give every single one of us in this room right now, everyone that is, is a follower of Jesus Christ, would you give every one of us an opportunity? Would you prompt us? Would you speak to us, Lord? Would you let us know on the inside, give us that, that, that prompting, that leading? God, would you give us the chance to speak to somebody out there about you, God, somebody that at this point in life doesn't understand your love, your grace? Father, would you use us this week? God, if you were to use us this week, that would be 50 people in our community that would hear the gospel this week. Wouldn't that be awesome? Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. I've been saying for the last few weeks up the front here are two big pot plants with stones in them. Uh, Feel free to grab them and throw them at me if you want. But um, I'm committed, and I hope you are too. I want to work out this new because I want to be part of this new because I'm sick of the old. It's not changing my society, not changing my culture. It's not changing the younger generation of kids, not changing the older people. It's just Jesus did not come to earth to say, hey, I've got a great new religion. Would you guys, would you guys come and follow my religion? You know, he said, I've got a great new way of life. Would you guys take up the challenge and live it? Amen.